0: Welcome to the truth in this art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thanks for listening and do share and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a comment and let me know what you think of the podcast. Today, I am in conversation with a dynamic, versatile museum adventurer who craves the possibility of what a museum can be. Please welcome Gina Verduzco. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on way over there in the West coast. We are spreading this brand of, uh, storytelling and conversation. So thank you for making the time.
1: Yes. You know, I happened to find you (laughs) on LinkedIn and I was like, you know what? What a great opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, in reading over your background, like it's um, it's some interesting stuff. So I want to have some questions for you. And um, I want to start off with kind of the the, the the de facto kind of introductory question. Could you give us those vital stats like your background? Where did you grow up? And uh, what was that first art making or experience with art for you?
1: So I was born in Veracruz, Mexico, so there's a lot of rich history. Uh, the Olmix used to occupy that land. So my upbringing was very at an early age. I used to go to the pyramids and, you know, I have vivid memories of visiting my grandparents and seeing these giant monuments, you know. I must have been like a couple feet tall and just going up these steps of the pyramids, I was like as big as one of those stones. <laughs> so early on, I knew civilizations and ancient civilizations would be important to me so that kind of tied into everything that i'm doing now so i grew up in southern california i kind of grew up all over the place from laguna beach to west hollywood i've been to over 15 17 different schools wow yeah so i was definitely always the new kid on the block (laughs) So early on, I got involved reading and I was just kind of in my own world because I was always alone as a new as a new student. I was constantly alone by myself. So that's where the fascination with culture, societies and people kind of began. I didn't know that I would be into art until college where I kind of started piecing my own. I started to piece everything together. So, yeah, my first. Uh, experience with art actually (laughs) was a funny experience my first actual museum that i recall was going to the getting museum in los angeles Mm -hmm. so this was a little bit before i was in the second grade so gps weren't still on the phone (laughs) you can get your look you can get the instructions on google maps and you can print it out so I printed out the information for my mom, and we got lost because I didn't know my lefts and rights in second grade. So that was a confusion. We were lost for almost an hour and a half.
0: Like you meant left. No, I said right. Like I, I said right. And then I would have to
1: like do the little finger things. So I'd be like, okay, the little L, that's left. The other one doesn't have the L, so that's right. So, yeah, most definitely was oh. <laughs> a situation, but it was one of the most disappointments of my life.
0: Mm. Say more about that.
1: So it was, I was in the second grade. I was expecting something grand, something exciting. I was, I was waiting to feel like, oh man, this is a museum. This is what it is. This is art. This is what the possibility is. And I know it sounds naive or like, Oh, you were in the second grade, but I had this grand idea of what I was gonna encounter when I arrived. Yeah. And sad to say, the the funnest part of my whole situation was going on the trolley rides up to the getty. <laughs> that was the fun that was the highlight of my trip, and I'm like that always stuck with me. That so much culture, history was in these artifacts and paintings and these were replicas of people's lives and events. And they meddled with the walls and they kind of blended in together. There was no life. There was no, there was nothing. It was just there and it was so boring. And that has stuck with me.
0: So... So, stepping back a little bit, you're so, so for, for those who are undipped and uninitiated, tell them, tell them, tell, them, tell them the, the listeners what your, your background is. Um, cause I, I, either you are wrapping up or you're still, uh, in, in, <laughs> in school. Like, where, are you, where are you at right now? That's the thing I wanted to have in there just for context.
1: Yeah. So, I am on my last three weeks of my undergrads.
0: Yeah. Let's go.
1: I May 20th with a, Bachelor of Science in Cultural Anthropology with a emphasis on museum studies.
0: Love to hear it. Love to hear it. So, so I wanted to at least have that in there versus like, cause I, I was like, yeah, talk to talk about museums, tell me more, but I wanted <laughs> to at least have like that, that context in there. So as you're, you're having that experience in being in nearly two dozen schools and then like kind of coming to this awareness and this awakening on your interest in, um, like, like art. Once, once you're in like, uh, college and you're, you're thinking of like just memories of going to the Getty and kind of how that was wasn't as, as great as you, you thought it would be. And even further experience of being in huge like structures that are, are man made, but just don't seem like they can be with the pyramids of Veracruz. So. Tell me about your thoughts on whether human creativity matters. And in that, tell me what maybe attracts you and and, and retracts you, attracts you um, to like creative things. And what really isn't your cup of tea? So does human creativity matter? What attracts you if it does matter? And what's really not your thing?
1: So I truly think creativity is one of the most important things to exist if i think if creativity is nourished and developed properly anything is possible everything started off as an idea and then that idea evolved so i do think creativity is extremely important and i might be somewhat biased because i am studying human interactions and humans so (laughs) i do see some bias in my opinion but overall as creativity allows us to view and solve problems we become more open and aware of everything around us. So yeah, I do definitely think creativity is beyond important.
0: In, in that, I, I agree with you and I think it's, uh it's that seasoning. It's the coloring that we have. Of like, um, I, I was having a conversation earlier about like problem solving, and you can creatively solve a problem. And sometimes it's out of necessity. Sometimes it's out of a lack of resources. Uh, we are both people of color, and sometimes those opportunities aren't as as present as they are for m- other people. So with it, we're able to be much more creative. Um, and even some of the cultural things that are there are to just. Ban- in, we we have these rich cultures that are filled with creativity and art and things of that nature so so in that tell me a little bit about like what what do you look for when you're like looking for something creative cuz something can be like wow they did that interestingly but eh, it's fine I'm you know it's it's creative but I'm not it's not really my thing so what is your your thing creatively are you into paintings are you into like wow they did a really good song or what type of creativity really like livens you up? And what is kind of like, eh, it's fine?
1: So, growing up, I like I said, I moved a lot. So, I've been around everything and anything. So, I've been from suburbs to what you would consider low income and the ghetto. <laughs> I fell in love with this deep fascination with graffiti and the ability to include so many colors. I feel graffiti needs to be showcased not as a vandalism, but it needs to be showcased as an art. I love the I've seen some artwork by some graffiti artist that is truly breathtaking and what they could do with a spray can is impressive. Yeah. I feel like as a museum educator and goer, I think we need to step away from the structure of <laughs> I don't know how to properly word this, but I want to see us navigate away from just focusing on white artists mm-hmm. and Renaissance painting to incorporate everything else. Art is just not with a pen and a paper. It could be anything from music to... I've seen digital art. And with the increase of NFTs and Web3, art is becoming to. Art is becoming what you make it, not what it is. Mm -hmm. So anything can become art. You're seeing street fashion take over almost anything from designer shoes to custom jackets. Art is no longer just pen and paper. It's really the beauty in creating anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think think that makes a, a lot of sense. And as we're progressing, I think our... I think our ideas of how we view art, how we view creativity has to be more inclusive of things that may not have, that may not have been things that may have been more on the fringe. So with that, I I, I saw when I was reading immersive immersive, um, uh, art and immersive um, technology. So, you know, could you describe the possibilities of immersive technology in the art world? And you touched on NFTs a little bit there. Um, So how is it being applied currently and what do you think the future holds?
1: So currently you're seeing anything from immersive art exhibits, for example, There's two that I can think of as of right now, which is the Van Gogh Immersive Art Exhibit Mm -hmm. and the Frida Kahlo Immersive Exhibit, which are done by the same company, which are two exhibits that are, I would like to call it more of a video. So they're giant projectors that take up from the floor to the ceiling with art art paintings. So the art is projected all over the room. With yeah. people in the middle walking around it, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. One of my other favorite is um, I'm actually working with a close friend of mine. Um, we are he's doing the metaverse. Yeah. So we're working to create uh, virtual exhibits.
0: That's really that cool. You
1: can use with VR and mixed reality, so you just hop on the Oculus and you can go inside the exhibit, walk around. Uh, so. Building exhibits, it's becoming very inclusive, and that's overall my goal with technology Mm. and immersive art, just to be as inclusive as you can.
0: Yeah, and and I think there's a a shift towards that because I believe that museums and just how things have been that requires you to have foot traffic and go to a place, um, that's changed over the last few years due to COVID due to restrictions and just that, that industry has shifted um, tremendously. And, you know, even looking back um, years ago, when people made the joke about the uh, with a Tupac hologram, I think it was maybe Coachella or something.
1: How funny. Yeah. I thought about that as I was like reading along and I was like, (laughs) I should talk about that because that's truly what I think of when I think of immersive art. That yeah. hologram, I think, for me, changed it. I remember looking at the Coachella in two thousand and twelve and I was like, "Wow
0: <laughs> and that's and that's ten years ago to things have only gotten better, and I think like I'm a person who is yes let's let's move things ahead." but also let's make sure we have a steady foundation too, as we're moving things ahead because certain things just don't have that stability. And I don't want to be old man art, old man, creativity here, but (laughs) you want to be, at least I think you, you, because I think some of the times like the experience still has to happen. So like I noticed that people are buying more vinyl, even now with like all of the different ways to have your music stream to your, your device or what have you and get it that way. But some people of all ages, I, I ended up um, talking with a, a person who runs a record shop. And one of the things he'd mentioned was like early 20s women is the highest, most growing um, market in buying vinyl. and <laughs> And that's a really interesting thing as we're shifting away from this kind of dead old tech. But that's still a thing that's there that's still going to go strong. So I think for the people who are the naysayers or who are kind of against this notion of blending like Web three in, 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 in future kind of technology towards these, you hang it on a wall, you you have a sculpture, things of that nature. There is a blending, I think, is is the potential. Do you agree with that? Do you see that's that's ultimately where we're going to go? Or do you think it's something a little different from that?
1: I think overall of blending, it's where we're going to go. I know recently I did have, I encountered an issue at one of the exhibits that I'm working on, where one of the, um, one of the curators, board members, they want to replicate a AI. So it's an AI. So an artificial intelligence is going to be produced mm-hmm. for this exhibit alone. It's going to showcase Native American art. So it's going to be a, a replica of a person that once passed away. So we have all the photos. She's been three D modeled. Thirty. Uh, she's in photogrammetry. So we've gotten her to move and everything, but something about it feels wrong.
0: Yeah, that's that's a it's a thing. Like um,
1: it feels very wrong. So yeah, I had to step away from this project, and it did cost me a couple. You know. They weren't very happy that I didn't want to work work on this project anymore because I did all their photogrammetry. But something in me said that, no, this was incorrect. I didn't want to bring somebody that was dead back to life with artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. It kind of felt I was playing almost like a god, you know, bringing somebody back to life.
0: Yeah. And it, and, and it, it, and it hearkens to like a plot from a sci-fi movie in some regards. It's like, yeah, this person's back. And it was like, Oh, it's the revenge of this art that I created. How, how's this, how's this going to go? And, and, and I, and I think with the potential of. The, maybe like digital exhibitions and things of that nature it widens the accessibility of these things and even even this podcast is you know like this is my art this is my creativity and it could I have listeners in Iceland of all places you know what i mean and <laughs> it it broadens Hi, it <laughs> shout out Iceland they're going to be checking yeah, you I out so <laughs> so you know, reading that you're, you know, a museum adventurer. Tell us about a a journey, uh, that had a profound, um, impact, um, on your creative sensibility.
1: So one of the best museums I've talked about my worst museum exhibit, but one of my best museum exhibit was in 2018. I was, I think a freshman in college. I thought I was badass, and I snuck away from a class and drove to LA because every good museum is in LA, apparently. Um, (laughs) So I went to the California Science Center, and they had a King Tut exhibit. And when I tell you this exhibit was a dream come true, I I still feel heavy emotions, and so many emotions pass through me as I was recollecting these memories, and I was like, This was the moment that everything changed for me. Yeah. I remember (laughs) at the time I didn't have a good job. So I had to save up the money to pay the $16 to get into the museum. Plus pay parking because in LA you got to pay parking for everything. So I paid like $40 in parking. Right? Rough, rough. (laughs) And then $16, it was like $60 in the end for everything. So that was like a big hit out of me. So I was like, dang. So I did contemplate like going... Uh, But it was a King Tut exhibit. And to this day, it's one of the best exhibits. I remember when I walked in, and you walk into this hallway, and it's dark, and they're projecting photos of how he was first discovered, and when they first made the breakthrough, when everything, the first photos, oh God, like I'm even losing words, but <laughs> I remember I was crying. Because in second grade, I've been really into ancient Egypt, and it was just like a dream come true. So, like all the hieroglyphs that I would see in my books and videos and YouTube videos, like they were right in front of me. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of the best moments of my life. That's amazing. It was breathtaking. It was inspirational, and I think there's so much potential, mm-hmm. but also that exhibit did lack a couple of things now that I'm older and then I can't fantasize about it the same that I did before I knew all the things that I do know. Now I wish it would have been more immersive. I really wish you would have been able to. so right now what I'm working on is I'm really big on 3d printing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think 3d printing is a way I want to ship my exhibits as I want to incorporate artifacts where people can touch them. Yeah. So that's definitely where I'm heading with my exhibits. I don't want my exhibits just to be, look at this, take a photo, and you'll forget about it. I definitely want to incorporate, touch all your senses when you go into exhibits. And that's you, my biggest mission in museum creation. It's just, just being able to touch and feel and experience with your hands and in your, in your mind and mm-hmm. not just your eyes.
0: It sounds like you want people to be dipped. Um, yeah. I dig it. I, uh, I, I, I like immersion. I like being able to, kind of, kind of impact all of those senses. Cause I think it's not just looking at art. It's not just, you know, cause most of the times you can't touch it or what have you, right? Um, uh, in, in some of these like really big museums, some of the more accessible ones, maybe there's the opportunity to interact with the, um, the art a little bit more. But the, the notion of immersion, you, you connect, you, you establish that much more of a connection to it. Um, I remember the one museum that I went to in uh, Los Angeles, uh, well, in California, period. Uh, I was in Little Tokyo, to be exact. It was... Uh, <laughs> it was... it was the, What is it? The MoCA joint? Um, yeah, the
1: MoCA. Have-
0: yeah. The, I, I went to the Dr. Death Body Worlds exhibition.
1: Very good one.
0: That was something else. I was like, oh, these are these are bodies here. Yeah, <laughs> <to see> you. <laughs> it, it, it was something, but at the same time, I, you know, that's an experience that, is always going to be there because it's not something that I've seen before. I, I didn't do the thing, this navel-gazy thing. I don't know if this is art or not. I was like, wow, this is, this is different. This is interesting. Let's keep going let's keep exploring. And, uh, cause I was there with, uh, with the peer. And I said, yeah, let's, let's understand this a bit more and I, I went like three, maybe four years ago and I still remember it very well.
1: Yeah. The body museum, I think it's, it's not for the weak of stomach.
0: No, for
1: sure. <laughs> um, but it's fascinating what an exhibit can be and transform into when you think outside of just pictures and descriptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think stepping away from that is really where I see the future of museums going. I've seen museums that are immense. L.A. has this uprise of museums that are just made for selfies. So there's selfie museums now in LA. Yeah. yeah. So you could go to Santa Monica and you'll catch museums that just a hundred percent made for you to take photos.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: there's a museum that's made for uh black hair, which I think is beautiful. It tells a story of like, I think they executed successfully how to tell a story of the resistance hair has and how certain hair colors and textures and, you know, Protective styles are viewed as a negative thing, yeah. and I think they executed that so so well. And I hope anybody of color can go see it, if you're black or not. It is an amazing museum.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a little jealous now because you're talking about black hair, and I don't really have hair. So thanks, 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 jana I appreciate that.
1: No, it's I'm kidding. okay. Okay, <laughs> okay. You could always walk a little wig.
0: Nah, I can't do it. Can't do it. I'm too, I'm just old. Um, so I want to throw this one to you. Um, this is, this is, a, 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 one of my pr- favorite, uh, proverbs. It's a Japanese one, um, for, uh, I'm going to poorly pronounce this, but I'm going to give it a shot. It is Ron, um, Yoai Shoku, um, proof rather than argument. And, this was this notion, this proverb was applied to you, me doing this podcast, right? Where, uh, back in 2019, um, former president Donald Trump said a lot of really just crappy things about Baltimore. And instead of being mad about it, cause you know, he's a, not a good person and said a lot of things that were just factually wrong, but also just, just bad taste. Um, and instead of being mad about it, you know, the the shots that he was taking at Baltimore and I don't feel it was about the streets or the the signs or the I felt it was about the people. I'd rather disprove it. I'd rather have proof that you're wrong versus arguing with you. So that's my philosophy that I've applied to to this body of work. So is there a philosophy that you apply to your approach to your work and your your. So, so tell me about that a little bit. What What would that approach be if you had one?
1: Yeah. So we go back to speaking of creativity and I think creativity is the fundamental structure of everything that I do. So with that being said, my philosophy is that if there's a will, there's a way. And if I want it, I'm going to get it. There's nothing above that. And if I want it, I got it. I'm young. I've done everything I've said I am going to do. I've been offered uh, not to toot my own horn, but I've been offered to do a TED talk. But then COVID happened.
0: Okay, toot toot. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. So I've been offered to do a TED talk, but then COVID happened, and they just dropped the ball and aren't proceeding with it. But I truly do feel like if you want it, you have to get it, and life is so short that you gotta make yourself happy at the end of the day. That's I'll strive to improve and make yourself truly the best possible version of yourself that you can be, and that's what I try to do with everything that I accomplish
0: i love it i love it and um i mean ted whoever he is from these talks that you're lost gina's on my podcast right now how you like that (laughs) (laughs) um and and this will be the last real question i have before i get into those rapid fire ones because you're not going to escape the rapid fire question you got to get those as well um so This one I think is kind of interesting. And I think really, especially from like your your vantage point and being around museums and having experience and seeing like some of the like anthropology and and seeing like really, really ancient pieces of art and, you know, and, and stuff that's in the future. Those are two very different, far apart sort of thing. So I think th- this question is um, some of us seek to first understand while others seek to be understood. Where do you fit it on that spectrum when it comes to your work? And, and tell me how that understanding, whichever side you're on, um, is applied to your work.
1: So I seek to understand. I believe knowledge is one of the most powerful abilities we hold as human beings. As a control anthropologist, I know that early on in the history of anthropology, a lot of damage was done. A lot of cultural history was lost. A lot of trauma has been created because of this. And I, as a modern day cultural anthropologist, I seek to understand everybody, not just assume anymore. I think we're past that. I think I need to understand and seek multiple viewpoints before i come to my own i don't think i'm no longer as a somebody that has the privilege of saying i have higher education mm-hmm. i must be able to in a way acknowledge the privilege that i carry on myself and understand that while also not trying to put anybody else down
0: it's great to hear and i, I it is good to hear that because i mean if you were like nah i want i'm right all the time it's like hi you're no. you're not, not going to last long and that's but that's great that's great to hear no, and yeah. um yeah thank you cuz uh i was getting that vibe I, I want you to be able to tell your story and um so with that being said i think that's a good point for us to stop with the real questions and now it's time for some rapid fire questions and right. um the way that these work just whatever comes to mind the first thing don't think about it too hard cuz some people like to curate, you know, museum joke. Some people like to curate their answers and, you know, make it clean, you know, just whatever comes to mind. All right. A museum, uh, past or present. What's a museum, past or present that you would love to visit that you've either not been to or you want to go to again? You know, which which one, a museum, past or present, because some don't exist anymore, that you're like, you know what, I would really like to go there.
1: Uh, So I made the horrible mistake. I was actually in Cancun five, six, <laughs> To seven months ago, and I did not go to Chichen Itza, which is a pyramid in Cancun in the Mayan province. Mm-hmm. I regret not going to the museums there and exhibits. Overall, that is one of my biggest mistakes. So that would be a current exhibit that I wish I would have gone to see.
0: Okay, that, that I mean, look, it's going to be on the list. happen. Uh, so this, this, see, now I got to get weird with it. Uh, describe yourself in three emojis
1: in three emojis i love food so it would have to be the little uh dumpling one i think it's (laughs) like a ball that one um the little dog one because i absolutely love my dog i've had her since the first grade so she is the love of my life so the little dog emoji because anybody that knows me knows that a (laughs) little dog. uh and the third one is a little the little wave. I'm over here, signing in the air, like you can see me. But the little <laughs> wave, <laughs> because I love the beach. I grew up near the coast. So that is very important to me. I feel like something about the ocean is just so warm and inviting, and just a positive life.
0: I love to hear it. Uh, what was a nickname you had when you were younger?
1: Uh, I actually did not have any nickname I have to say
0: oh okay that's first you know i i had i had multiple i had multiple i'm not going to share any of them but i had multiple You're just over here
1: like i had multiple okay. <laughs> just flush with nicknames
0: I- <laughs> um Okay. This is, this is a little trolly. In your opinion, what is the most overused term or phrase that you've heard in in like your, your time working within art and museums, things of that nature within your work? What is the most overused term or phrase? You're like, you could say something different. You could use a different word here.
1: Decolonize.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I feel like that word is so overused, but also brings up so much issues when you use it. Mm -hmm. I truly support 100% decolonizing anthropology and museums, but we need to come up with better words because these words are often overused and are starting to have this negative connotation with them. Mm -hmm. And this association that we need to decolonize everything, people aren't understanding what it really means. I think decolonizing is one of those words that is important, but we also need to shift away from just using that one specific word.
0: I, I agree. I think that happens a lot in it in, in just different words. Words have have meaning and that needs to be restored. And I think you, when you talk to at least in people I've interviewed and people I've been around, it's you kind of hear the same words strung together in the same way. And it's like, oh, I wonder how similar your ideologies are, and I start looking at it from that perspective, and it's almost like this same notion where, when well, let's say you, you see these algorithms or you're using tech, right? You see these algorithms, these facial recognition things, and I was reading this book about algorithms yesterday. To crack, it was called "Cracking Krakeny Creative Code," and it was just talking about like Silicon Valley and how. Uh, facial recognition software was not noticing like Asian people what have you and thinking it, you know, just really like kind of racially baked in things because yep. the, uh, the people coding them and, 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 and testing them is very xenophobic, they're all white dudes. And it's just like, Hmm, you guys have this kind of similar beliefs. That's why nothing different is here with this stuff or what have you. So having that diversity there, that shift in that side of things will improve their product. And I think on the other side of things, something where, you know, you have the same people talking about maybe the same sorts of ideas in terms of decolonizing and so on, while important and needed, I think maybe having, what's the new and original approach to that? Or some people just saying like, more blatant, like, yo, this needs to be less white, just like less European, less white. It's like, oh, you made it raw. Now everybody understands it versus using what feels at times like a buzzword.
1: Yeah, most of as somebody that's still in the educational institution, I guess that's how I would call it. Yeah. There's always this like tiptoeing around word and verbiage and I've gotten so good at this jargon of like educational jargon is what I call it, where I say, I could tell you a whole story (laughs) using the same words or repeated of times and then say those same words in a different way. But those words aren't the same thing that I said, but those words are in the same manner that I want them to say it. So it's a wordplay that I've gotten used to saying Mm -hmm. that means absolutely shit. It doesn't mean (laughs) enough. And I think folks such strong, Emotions and feelings and words can really change anything. Yeah. And one of those issues that studying linguistics and people, the American language does not have that importance of language like it should
0: no we we use top tier words um to mean something that's trivial like we'll say it's a louis ck joke but we'll say something that's hilarious it's like do you know what hilarious actually means and it's like no that wasn't hilarious that might have been funny but it wasn't hilarious or I, I throw around, um, I like to string certain art things that I've heard, like I hear the word spaces a lot. I hear intentionality and diaspora, while well, I know what all of those things mean and how they're applied, but I almost want to write an artist statement for my podcast. It's like the the intentionality of my work is to open up spaces for the diaspora of Baltimore. <laughs> that that That's nothing that I just said, but it sound, it, it's going to hit the key words.
1: It is, but you also got to consider that language is also uh, linguistically profiled.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. Slang
1: <laughs> is used as a, if you look at it, slang is used for lower class, where proper English is considered for middle class and high class citizens. Mm-hmm. And there's always this, language is so important, and we do not know the importance of it until you are put in those situations where, yeah, like you said, instead of saying decolonize, why not just say make it less white? Because that would be viewed like, as wrong.
0: Because that's really what we mean. <laughs> and
1: that's exactly what I mean. And that's <laughs> what I want to do. And I usually get hate from this because I'm usually the only non-white person in an in institution. And I've walked into, I worked with the Getty and I was the only non-white one there. And I was like, damn, this is, this something, huh?
0: No, I was thinking like, um, yeah, it's, it's just really important to like have that, just have that openness and and being able to have like a dialogue, be able to have like discourse and, and things of that nature, and really open it up. Versus, this is the way that we do it. This is the approved upon reality. This is how we're going to talk about things. And I think, and and this is just my thing. Is is I guess it's not patriotic, but also it's I think it's real. This is why people who are are outside of America, like who don't live here, are kind of better in some ways because they are multilingual. They can be polyglots. It's like, oh, I speak seven languages. It's like, okay, you have, you know, in in addition to knowing all of those different languages, you may have a better grasp on the 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 power of words and linguistics than your average well educated American because you know you know multiple languages
1: yeah I totally agree, as Americans <laughs> we have this high horse view on our own self in America, but realistically, there's this one quote I happened to run into a long time ago that America is just a third world country with a gucci belt on
0: <laughs> it's, and it's that not, has it's been not wrong
1: <laughs> ever. and I'm like, yeah.
0: Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of not great here um, yeah. as as this show devolves into being the anti blah, 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 The magas are going to get me. I don't care. Uh, here's the last rapid fire question, because that was just such a tangent. But we talked about linguistics. So that's a good one. Um, so what is what that one thing in as briefly as you can put it? What is that one thing that. You know, it can be personal, it can be professional. What is one thing that you've always dreamed of doing that you think is like really attainable? It's like, you know what? I can get this done. Like, I've always dreamed of going to space. Am I probably going to go to space? Absolutely not. I'm going to be here on Earth in Baltimore. So, <laughs> what is something that you feel like is accessible that you've always dreamed of doing? You're like, you know, I'm going to do that, I'm going to make that happen
1: uh so professionally i'm gonna start with professionally i'm actually starting my own um museum consulting for people of color so i'm trying to bring in as much color diversity as i can so that is my professional goal and that's what i'm gonna i'm started doing Love so i it. already started a brand it's gonna call alabri alabri museum consulting so look for that absolutely um, and then for personal, I think something that I've always wanted to do is go to the depth of waters. So we're talking like a couple thousand feet underwater, but that sounds very scary. It so does. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it, but that's always something I wanted to do. But also probably one of the scariest things that I can think of.
0: You're going to run into one of those underwater pyramids with the Kraken or Aquaman, something. I don't know. Oh, no, yeah, no.
1: (laughs) The underworld. Right. Something like that.
0: So that's pretty much all the questions that I had. And um, one, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. And two, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where they can check you out online.
1: Yeah, so you can look me up on LinkedIn at Gina Verdusco. I also, if you kind of scroll around there, you could also find my personal website, which is still in development, but that will be coming shortly. So yeah, you can mainly find me on LinkedIn. <laughs>
0: So there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Gina Verduzco for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it.